This is Cuerpa Política, a podcast about reproductive health, politics and justice in Latin America, funded by the Institute of Latin American Studies and co-hosted by me, Dr. Rebecca Ogden, lecturer in Latin American Studies at the University of Kent. And me, Dr. Rachel Sanchez-Rivera, postdoctoral fellow in sociology at the University of Cambridge. Cuerpa Política explores reproduction in Latin America through a series of conversations with activists, practitioners, artists, and researchers working in many different contexts. Latin American countries have some of the world's most contentious reproductive health laws and policies, and there are persistent challenges facing the quest for reproductive justice. In these episodes, our conversations with experts will explore contemporary issues, such as those relating to abortion access and obstetric violence, as well as histories of reproductive politics in the region. From the relationship between empire and reproduction, eugenics, 20th century fertility control measures, and beyond. In many of the episodes, we consider culture as a lens through which to understand these contexts, exploring how cultural norms, as well as media and the arts, shape the political, legal, and social realities of reproduction and vice versa. Follow the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you access podcasts, and get in contact with us via our social media at Cuerpa Politica on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Dr. Lieta Vivaldi works at the Universidad Alberto Hurtado in the Law Department. She has a PhD in Sociology from Goldsmiths College, University of London, a Master's in Sociology from the London School of Economics, a Diploma in Gender and Violence from the Faculty of Philosophy and Humanities at the Universidad de Chile, and is qualified in law by the same institution. She also works as a researcher in the Centre of Applied Ethics at Universidad de Chile and as an associate researcher of the Faculty of Law at Universidad Diego Portales. She is board member and coordinator of the research programme on biopolitics at the International Institute for Philosophy and Social Studies in Santiago, Chile, and the director of the Academic Committee of the Chilean Feminist Lawyer Association. Her research focuses on human rights, sexual and reproductive rights, sociology, law, biopolitics and feminisms. so much for uh, talking to us about your uh, research and your activism, Lieta Vivaldi. I wondered for the purposes of an, uh, an introduction to this episode and also for the benefit of those who might not be experts, could you give us an overview of the recent history of reproductive politics and uh, reproductive rights in Chile? What ha have been or what are the key battlegrounds? Maybe you could say um, how Chile is a, a unique case study in the context of Latin America or how it's similar to other countries. Yeah, of course. Many thanks first for having this chance to talk to you. So I'm very grateful for this invitation and to share our experience and maybe to um, also to know more about um, globally what's happening and to discuss that too. Indeed, Chile is a very unique case because um, in Chile, I mean, um, maternity mortality was very, very high at the beginning of last century. And then the feminist movement was very strong in order to um, achieve abortion. So feminist movement was very, very, was very, very strong. I mean, around 1920s, 1930s. And then actually abortion uh, was legalized 
at least in um, therapeutic cases. But therapeutic cases was uh, interpreted in different ways. I mean, at the beginning, you can interpret therapeutic in very, very restrictive way, just when the life of women of the woman is in danger but also you can consider therapeutic for instance health um, I mean mental health or other subjects which was the case later on uh, in the 70s with Allende's government uh, a socialist government that was more broadly interpreted so what I mean is that we have a very very, very restricted law at in 19 until 1930 and then the law um permitted abortion and uh, in therapeutic cases and the way in which it was interpreted as i said was various uh, uh, between the um, in the along the century i mean and then um it was interesting too that chile was pioneer uh, in um, all the contraceptive methods was very pioneer in 1960s was a, a country that was an example for Latin America and also the world because uh, there were family planning programs of course these family planning programs were not addressed maybe to women out women women autonomy but more to um, I mean uh, issues of uh, maternal mortality or like health considerations of the I mean the country consideration etc. But still, women have this chance have this chance to choose, and then. Um, the coup came, uh, the dictatorship of Pinochet from 1973, and as one of the last measures of his government, uh, abortion was completely forbidden uh, from uh, 1989. And women, feminist movement, thought that this was going to be easy to change once uh, democracy was recovered, but unfortunately, on the contrary, it took almost uh, 30 years to change. I mean, in 2017, abortion under uh, President Bachelet's government was uh, legal, legalized at just in three on three grounds. If women's lives are in danger, fetal anomalies incompatible with life, and in the case of rape. So in, 19, in 2017, we approved uh, that law that still is very limited. I can discuss a bit more about that, but um, that was that. That's like a, a very broad overview about uh, what had happened. And um, and then uh, I mean, like uh, as I said, during the, all the democracy governments, uh, abortion was not an issue. Maybe because, of course, uh, women's interests were not uh, the main um, uh, subject for presidents or the parliament, etc. And that's why just, I mean, in, in 2015, when President Bachelet was in her second period, she um, she uh, introduced the bill in order to legal, legalize abortion in those on those three grounds that I mentioned. And also for feminist movements was a bit controversial. I mean, because on the one hand, of course, we wanted to move on in this uh, very, very um, draconic law, we could say that forbidden abortion in all the cases, but uh, just those three grounds seemed very, very limited and not a real step forward. So it was very controversial for feminists if uh, they should um, support the bill or not. But at the end, we agreed that it was a minimum ethical was called, and uh, we should go further and then continue the fight for liberalizing uh, uh, more. 
Brilliant. Thank you. That's really interesting. And we're going to return just in a second, we'll return to this idea of this partial decriminalisation, what that actually means, this partial legalisation, what that means for people who are um, trying to access um, uh, an abortion. You mentioned Pinochet. I wondered if we could um, just go into a little bit more detail about how uh, disputes over abortion and also kind of broader controls of reproduction overlapped with some of the political ideologies and maybe also neoliberal rationales of uh, the Pinochet uh, dictatorship. Could you say a bit more about that? Of course. I mean, like, if we go to the definition, neoliberalism is understood or could be understood as a political rationality, as you said, in which the principles of the market serve as regulative principles in other areas of social conduct and power strategy, following Brown, for uh, Wendy Brown, for instance. So, and the dictatorial period under the government of Pinochet converted Chile into what is called a laboratory of neoliberalism. Maybe you have heard about this concept. And uh, so it was on the one hand, the entire privatization of public goods, the regularization of and cut to social spending, uh, maximization of production, consumption, consumption. And this was also, um, it's very clear to see in the Chilean constitution, which now we are in a process to change, which we can discuss that later, but it has been a very interesting process. It's a very interesting process what we are going on now in Chile. But this constitution and the main regulation and policies implementing implemented in the country during the Pinochet dictatorship, were closely tied to religion, to the influence of Catholic groups, but also to this idea of the um, negative freedom. I mean, like uh, these freedoms that you cannot, you can do whatever you want, and but you can do whatever you want economically, and you can do whatever you want in certain aspects, but on the other hand, Women, women's body are still very controlled. Is this idea of the fam- patriarchal family, which is in the Chilean constitution. So they're not different families, it's one kind of families. And in this way, there are different regulations regarding even the economics. So where it's a very, it's very free, I mean, a free economic, etc., free markets, etc. But on the other hand, the morals are very, very, uh, the standards are very catho- tied to Catholics. It's very like tricky. And that's why maybe it was uh, when I studied my PhD in the UK and I talked about the situation in Chile regarding abortion, people seemed very surprised because there was this idea of Chile uh, as a very, I don't know, no, like very um, developed country. And we were like a very example in the economics, etc. So for people, was dif- were, I remember it was different to understand that uh, that was on, on one hand, but on the other hand, it was very, very um, conservative in other subjects. So I remember that they were very surprised. But on the other hand, it's not as surprising. I mean, Catholic groups and um conservative groups and this, all these groups, uh, I mean, um, fighting for more economic freedom are very tight if we analyze even today. So it's not that's as surprising as it seems. Moving, turning now to the present or the more contemporary period, we know that uh, criminalization or partial criminalization of abortion doesn't mean that terminations aren't happening. It just means that, that they um, uh, are taking place 
secretly and unsafely and more likely to result in deaths. And in a previous episode uh, with Dr. Cordelia Freeman, we discussed misoprostol and these kind of low-tech advice uh, phone lines as ways that people circumvent those restrictions in order to to um, gain access to a, a safe abortion. In Chile, what kind of obstacles are still hindering women's access to an abortion, given the current law? Yeah, of course. As I said, the current law is very restrictive. It just allows abortion on free grounds, like, as I said, like when women's life is in danger, like fetal anomalies that are incompatible with life, and uh, in the case of rape. And that's very, very uh, restrictive. There are many, many women that are still looking for uh, clandestine abortions. And in this way, uh, feminist movements and feminist organizations are helping women. I can go, I can uh, tell you a bit more details that I like later, but I want to focus in the importance of this law that even being so restrictive, it has been very difficult to implement. Uh, it was approved, as I said, when by President Bachelet was at government, but six months after a right-wing government was elected, uh, Piñera's government, and of course he and his uh, people didn't want abortion to be a law. They even say, though. So, even if abortion is a law, it has very, very difficult. It has been very, very difficult to implement because we have been we have been doing a lot of research about why the numbers. When they were discussing the numbers about how many abortions are, were expected for every year, it was there were about like two thousand and five hundred more or less. But and in reality, they have been like 600, 700, and not as much. And even uh, the case of rape has been much, much less than it was predicted. So we were wondering what was happening, what's happening now. And three are the big explanation. On, on first, I would say that uh, the lack of training, the government is not interested in training the, the healthcare personnel. So people don't know much about the law. There is not information, not even for women. So some women didn't know that they have these rights. There is not like a political of uh, information about the law, but also even healthcare practitioners are not fully aware about the law. They have not been uh, proper trainings, as I said. Maybe there have been trainings in, in some hospitals, but not in um, primary care centers, which are the ones that where women arrive at first. And then um, other problem, uh, the, the third problem that I was going to say is conscientious objection, which has been has remained like a huge issue. Fifty percent of, for instance, uh, doctors are still uh, they, they still invoke the conscientious objection as a form to uh, avoid performing the interruption of pregnancy. And sometimes it's so easy to. Um, it's all so easy to uh, invoke this conscientious objection that sometimes doctors do it be just because they don't want to have more work. So it's very, uh, it's very, uh, I'm not sure, uh, sad or terrifying the way in which this is invoked. It should be a very, very extreme case, the conscientious objection that you are that you are saying that you won't obey the law, but it should be for very personal, personal reasons. In case we agree that we have conscientious objection, we can discuss it later if it should or not exist. 
exist. But um, but what I want to say is that it has been used like very, very um, in a light way, I could say, just in order to not have much job or for any reason. So at the end, women, uh, there are many, many doctors that are not performing or also nurses, etc. that they won't give, uh, um, I mean, they, they, they declare themselves um, that, that they won't perform the procedures, procedures or give information. So that has been very, very worried. There's so much to talk about. And I um, I just want to do justice to your the reach, the broad reach of your research and also mention um, your use in your research of the notion of dispositive, dispositive, um, which comes from feminist theory. You use it as a tool of critical theory. Um, could you explain in simple terms, if possible, how you understand this notion, how you draw on it in the case of abortion, particularly as a form of biopolitics. Yeah, yeah. I didn't introduce much myself, like uh, with my own words, I mean, but I, yeah, I studied first law and then gender and then uh, sociology. And then during this, I mean, like um, life journey, I don't know how to call it. uh, I've been exploring abortion from different points of view. On the one hand, like when, uh, like more like from the legal perspective, uh, in which way women's rights have been violated or, or I mean, with with this process, Prohibition, etc. But also in the case of abortion, when I uh, when I started studying it, I realized that there is an intersection of different um, um, discourses, like political, judicial, disciplinary, and sexuals, and they constitute a dispositive or apparatus. So if we think reproductive policies are a paradigmatic example of intersections of a Foucault could call both biopower, both both poles of biopower, the disciplinary power, which is the government of individuals. We could see in these reproductive uh, policies how women are targeted in specific ways, how we should behave, uh, what are our, our specific goals, how we should take care of ourselves, etc. And also biopolitics, which is like the state's government of populations. What are the... Um, states in general, what are the policies of the state regarding all reproductions. So these both poles are very interesting how they uh, intersect in the case of abortion. And in this way, I was reflecting and I borrow um, this concept of dispositive from Foucault, but also, as I will tell you, uh, from feminist theory, I could, they were, of course, a feminist methodology was key in my work. And the Dispositive or apparatus in simple terms can be understood as composed of lines. It's like uh, different lines that are lines of power knowledges and um, they're, they're tangled. So it's like a tangle ensemble which in which within which one is placed. We are also part of this dispositive. So it's always from, from within the dispositive that I began my research and I began to look at, to hear and to see these different, we could call like changing lines of power knowledge. So here there is not an origin that we can trace, but rather um, elect, as I I did in my thesis, certain places as certain institutions, institutions, sorry, from which to consider how to issue the issue in this case of abortion is constituted. So uh, as I said, 
is formed by these lines of power knowledge, these lines of light, we could say, that allow one as a researcher to see other lines of discourses. Like as the less would say, there are machines which make one see and speak. And also limits way, enables and limits ways of seeing and understanding. And uh, discourses and events come from changes, and those changes are reflected in how we act, we see, we talk, and think. And in this case, how we act, see, talk about abortion. So in this thesis, I was looking at specific, at specific lines of power knowledge or discourses associated and, and how these were associated to specific events that form this abortion um, dispositive. So, for instance, I believe that uh, particularly crucial aspects of the abortion dispositives and they become manifest in women's bodies uh, that gather these disciplinary regimes and in the ways, the ways in which women are objectified in the sense of being subjected to a regime of truth, for example. And also, it's interesting to see um, um, feminist discourses, the way in which also feminist discourses have an impact on women and also on governmentality itself, in the rationality of power, we could say. So studying the prohibition of abortion, we consider the way in which people understand the prohibition in both a legal and ethical sense, but also how people cope and make sense of the situation. So we should pay attention to the, way in which, the ways in which we understand the situation and also be aware, as I said, that I'm already in this tangle of lines too. I mean, I define myself as feminist, but at the, at the same time, I also want to see what feminists have achieved and what the challenges are, how certain subjects are understood and so on. And in this sense, as you said, like I also use feminist methodology to understand the importance and difficulties of attempting to forge these links between feminism, activism, the academia, women's everyday, everyday lives. And in this sense, for instance, Haraway was key and the idea of situated knowledges according to which how and what we see and research is situated in embodied forms of experiences and specific socio-historical conditions. So to see the contingency, the contingency of uh, our current situation too. I'm not sure if I clarified a bit. You did, you did it. Thank you, that's fascinating. And I'll also um, link the article that you're, um, that you're uh, drawing from there uh, in, the, in the episode notes if anybody wants to read any further. Thank you very much. Um, speaking of approaching questions of reproduction, questions of abortion, for instance, from different angles, you've also looked at symbols and signs in your research. You've identified three specific uh, dislocated images or political signs that have been mobilised by feminist um, activists in the struggle for to legalise abortion in Chile. So women as victims, the isolated uterus and public fetuses. Could you talk about the visual and representational politics of these signs? 
Yes, as I told, as I was talking um, the last in the last question, um, there is uh, also images and how the visual, how, how the campaigns around abortion have been like uh, have changed during the during the years. Also, is another point of entry to understand the current situation. And in this way, uh, we I I was analyzing the ways in which uh, conservative, for instance, were um, they. they They pictured abortion, but also how feminist movements have understood abortion and how the visual representations of abortion have changed. And uh, in this way, um, it was very interesting to see the changes in uh, the strategy, the conservative strategies. They Um, of course, uh, abortion uh, has been considered, and there are many feminist research about it, as assassination. I mean, the fetus is analogous of a human being that, that which is already born. So, uh, in this way, as I, as you were saying, I analyzed. Uh, on the one, um, I mean, women as victims, isolated uterus, and public fetuses, and this. Typical representation of the fetus, the picture of the fetus, we have had like many, like these big billboards, we could say, I mean, huge that were placed like in the streets or in tracks that were um, driving through the, I mean, in, in the main cities in Chile. And they have like fetuses of, and they, they have like, uh, they said like uh, six weeks, uh, this is how a six week fetus looks. And they put, of course, a much more developed fetus. So. The, this is and this is interesting because it's like a public fetus. Like the fetus has already a personality. It also, we can say that it has even a citizenship. So um, conservatives are very, very uh, worried about the life of this fetus and picturing this fetus like a real, maybe almost like a born uh, baby. So that is a one way to depict depict the. Um, To put, I mean, like the 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 abortion, but other ways is also to uh, women are not longer just um, criminals. I mean, they're not depicted like just um, as criminals or as the evil person in the world because they are killing an actual human being, but also as victims. They're victims of feminism. They're victims of uh, left-wing, uh, I mean, politicians who are allowing them to abort instead of um, helping them to have their babies. That I mean, it has that was said during the debate, and that also is depicted like we I and mean, in different uh, representations. For instance, women in white, they were all dressed in white. Uh, uh, carrying uh, coffins, white small coffins with names of the, all the babies that were not not actual born, and women saying that they are very sorry about uh, having an abortion and they shouldn't have done it and they didn't, um, they they never have thought about it if they had had the support, etc. So this way to to put women as real victims of the liberalization of abortion is a new way because as I as I told you we are more used to see women as as, as criminals, murders, etc. But conservatives mimicking some of the feminist uh, strategies in another way they they start they start to say like we are the ones supporting you. We are real concerned about uh, you women that are so unprotected and so alone. And so that that was interesting that um, shift, and also uh, the representation of isolated isolated uterus. So this is interesting because 
the uterus is always uh, like floating, like in the space. Mm. There is not, uh, there is no like a woman body carrying the baby or the, the fetus. I mean, and there, there is no nothing. Um, so it's like the the uterus is. Um, I mean, the, the, the fetus is developing by itself. It's not any uh, body supporting that. So that's very typical of this mentality also of independency. I mean, like we can see that in law also, like people, and we can see that how, for instance, domestic labors or reproductive labor is completely invisibilized in, in, in our so- society, or I mean in Chile, at least, because it's like women are, people are born and nobody takes care of this. I mean, nobody, they don't need any support from the environment we are completely interdependent on the on the contrary we really need each other a baby cannot survive without a, a, a mom or dad or, or the society etc so this way to depict people like floating also is interesting by conservative and on the other hand i also analyzed the feminist strategies and it was interesting, but because those supporting the law, of course, they depict women like um, they also were unprotected, but not unprotected because they were allowed to abort, but on the contrary, because they couldn't abort. So they were also women were in defense or unprotected and or uh, I mean, abandoned by the state. So that was the rhetoric of these campaigns that we women were like alone in this situation, which is true. But also there were new strategies of feminist organizations, especially I'm thinking of uh, feminist organizations that help other women to abort, uh, to other women to abort clandestinely. And so they uh, they show women as uh, or show abortion with different aspects associated, not just a pain, not, I mean, not just sorrow or not just, um, you know, this feeling of loneliness or guilt, but also as, as uh, a sense of relief, also rage, of course, because of the situation, but also happiness, also a sense of solidarity when other women help them. So also feminist movements have proved to show how other object, uh, effects are related to abortion. And also to show how we are together as women in this. Like, for instance, many women have aborted. There are not just three grounds or three causes for abortion. There are many, many. So to show abortion more as a normal part of our reproductive lives and not mm. this isolated case that we that always is very painful and probably will be the worst moment in your life which in some cases of course it could be but also there is a social responsibility for that uh, feeling or, or for that situation is because we are stigmatizing abortion too so how we can uh, ch- uh, change this narrative around um, around abortion has also be a, con- a concern for Feminist, I would say like new feminist, or I'm, I'm not sure, so recent uh, feminist strategies, we could say. So also feminist strategies have shifted. That's important too, I think. Absolutely. And you're, I mean, you're a feminist yourself, you're an activist, you're also a researcher and an educator and a lawyer. How, what's it like switching between all those different roles and particularly what's, uh, what, challenges or opportunities uh, do each of those associated methodologies um, and approaches bring and what's next for your work yeah oh, oh, many things uh, to be honest I 
<laughs> I mixed everything. I mean, for me, my activism is part of my life and also is part of my research. So it's very difficult to separate. Like, I think that we used to think that at these like different aspects of our life or different, uh, I mean, um, different disciplines or different um, methodologies, etc. But I mean, um, every, I mean, I, I, I've been thinking the way in which they're, they're all intercepts. So uh, now currently I'm working in the Universidad Alberto Hurtado doing a research, a specific project that is three years project about uh, all the changes that are happening in Chile be, uh, because we are changing the, the constitution that I mentioned, the Pinochet, Pinochet constitution. So uh, I'm doing research about these changes, about how feminists are um, influencing these churches or being influenced by these ch changes too. So I, I'm doing research about that, but of course my own activism is key to do this research too. Uh, I'm at the moment, I'm the director of the Mesa Acción por el Aborto en Chile, which is the, the um, an organization for free abortion in Chile. We are doing, like, on the one hand, uh, fighting or, or uh, I mean, like, um, um, working for the decriminalization of the law and also for this new constitution to introduce reproductive sexual and reproductive rights and hopefully also the right to abort. And also we are working on the social decriminalization of abortion because if abortion is still stigmatized, even if we have a law, uh, abortion, uh, as I said, healthcare practitioners won't uh, perform abortions or even women will feel ashamed or they probably they won't um, claim their rights. So it's important also the social decriminalization, what I was saying, that normalize abortion as a part of our reproductive life. And also I'm in the um, I'm working in Abofem, which is a feminist lawyer association. And then I'm 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 directing the academic uh, commission and there we're, we're also doing lots of research. So it's very connected. Of course it's difficult, but in my case I'm very lucky that I I can connect these areas. Also, I'm very interested, I've been, been researching uh, new, new reproductive technologies that there's not many, there's not many studies in Chile about reproductive technologies from a feminist point of view. So that's what I'm looking at now. And as I said, all these changes, because the new constitution uh, in Chile will be right by um, 155 people and half are women and half are men. and. Uh, original, I mean, indigenous people are also represented there. So it's like a very um, exciting period. And also it's an example, I think, for the whole world now, because we're Chile, we're the best, but it's the first time that a constitution will be written um, in, for for women and men in the same number of, um, of um, and the same number, I mean, and also by indigenous people. Uh, unfortunately, there were also uh, trans um, candidates that they, they were not elected and also um, other, well, I, I mean, they, of course, they, we have to think about intersectionality in this thing, but still, it's like very, it's a, an, um, a period, I would say, of a lot of hope in Chile that we finally we can change some, um, some of these, uh, as I said, like pillars or like this um, basis of neoliberal um, society that constitutes us, like 
extreme individualism, like uh, where um, all these rights that are not decivilized for women, but also for um, the LGBTQ plus community, etc. So, and, and for children, so more like uh, having a, a, a new constitution with a more um, respect and a more participation of different communities and not just written by this white heterosexual man that we are um, so um, used to. It's, an ex it's a really exciting moment to be doing the very important work that you're doing and you have a very full plate, you have a very full agenda as far as I can hear. So thank you um, all the more. Thank you for joining us um, to talk about your work and your activism and your research. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you to the Institute of Latin American Studies, School of Advanced Study, University of London for generously funding this project. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cuerpa Politica. Join us for a new episode every fortnight and click on the follow button to receive notifications about podcast episodes. <laughs>